Let's turn together to, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to give you a choice. You can either turn to 2 Peter 3 or 1 Timothy 4. Or if you're super confident, you can go to both. We really can't do the old, uh, I grew up in church and they would be like, so keep your finger right there, but then flip over to here, you know. But there aren't many people flipping. A lot more people are scrolling. I don't know how you do that when you're scrolling, I guess. Uh, now that we're all high tech and everything as the church. But we're going we're gonna to look at both of those passages very briefly. And we're going to hop around a ton tonight. And so I hope that you're just okay with that. And I'm not even going to ask you to flip around a whole lot. I'm really going to maybe encourage you to do a little more listening than writing or anything like that. Um, the... Tonight's going to kind of be one of those nights where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover a lot of ground. And so I really would, uh, if I were you, I'd probably maybe just write a few things down, not a lot. Because uh, I'm going to reference some previous, um, previous like podcasts and other kinds of things that, that kind of go a little more in-depth on some of this stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, yesterday we had, uh, we had a day at the park yesterday. And... Um, Super grateful for uh, everyone that that came out and just kind of just enjoyed being outside together. And I know it's such a busy time of year, and um, you know we just had to pick a weekend and go for it. And uh, thanks for to everyone who who showed up, especially those who came came early and stayed late. Um, we had a ton of crawfish left, uh, and by ton I mean only mean like maybe 250 pounds that were left over. Uh, that we had to peel, and that tacked on probably another two hours to the day. So thanks, thanks to everyone whose like thumbs and stuff are really uh, you know hurting today, and who sacrificed a little bit to kind of get us what I'm estimating to be 25 or 30 pounds of crawfish tails that are in the freezer that we'll have to use for something. I'm sure we'll find a way. But uh, thanks to everybody who pitched in yesterday, especially uh, Jacob Cohn and his dad. Uh, who come out and boil those bugs for us every year. So we're very appreciative of all the effort that goes into that. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that, that maybe the, the church in general doesn't do enough of, which is really just we need, to, we need to play sometimes, you know. We need to realize that, that as, as John Ringo talked about last week, you know, joy is, I mean, that's part of the abundant life. That's, that's who God's made us. That's, that's who we really are. We find joy in one another. We find joy in creation. We find joy in the truth. We even dig deep, like John said last week, and we, we find joy even when our circumstances aren't very joyful. And there's something about being together and being outside and playing together and eating together that uh, joy kind of rises to the surface. And that's because that's, that's really who we are. Joy is in us because the Spirit is in us. And sometimes you just get in the right environment and those things that kind of block and stifle joy, they kind of drift away a little bit, and then you just kind of find yourself uh, there. And, um, you know, the gathering of the saints is such an important thing. And as we come together, you know, a lot of times we're, we're, we're trying to dig in. And so tonight I'm, I'm going to kind of go for it a little bit, like kind of hard. Um, and following up on, uh, we've really been on a stretch talking about spiritual disciplines and those kinds of things. And um, I kind of want to tack on to two weeks ago, uh, if you were here, maybe just kind of, consider this the second part of that. But I want to cover a little ground that, that I think a lot of times is overlooked by us, just kind of naturally. 
So, you know, when, when you hear the term spiritual disciplines, your mind probably goes to a couple of things if you've been around church for a while. And, uh, and I know I'm gonna, I don't want to assume that everyone has, but if you have been, you probably hear the word spiritual disciplines and you think uh, reading the Bible, you think prayer, you think probably solitude a little bit, like being alone with God, some of those kinds of things. Maybe you think about what we're doing today, maybe corporate worship is one of those disciplines, you know. Um, I like to cover really quickly three that tend to be overlooked, but are really, really, really important. And maybe overlooked to the detriment of some of that abundant life sometimes. So uh, I'm asking Amy if she would to throw up the, the definition under the screens that we used a few weeks ago just to kind of give us a working baseline of spiritual disciplines. So, um, Following Jesus into his own practices, intentionally placing yourself into the pathway of God's love as a means of training yourself for godliness and growing in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that is a mouthful, especially if someone was like, hey, you're a Christian, what's a spiritual discipline? You may not want to rattle that whole thing off. Uh, Let's look at these two passages really quickly, just so you can see where some of this comes from. Um, 2 Peter 3, so if you chose that one, uh, 2 Peter three seventeen and 18, says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You see that that sentence in there, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, hey, don't get caught up in all the ridiculousness of life, but he's really saying, hand yourself over to growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Know him, know his grace. That is, that's, that's Christianity. That's following after Jesus, is, is learning what he's like and realizing that uh, his favor on us, his relationship with us, his goodness toward us is not conditioned on our behavior or us uh, having, to really, uh, having to keep all the rules or anything like that. So the disciplines are us placing ourselves in the, in the pathway of that kind of stuff, of learning the grace and knowledge of Jesus. He's saying here are some, some practices you can engage in that will allow you to learn, uh, learn him and learn his grace in very specific ways. The other passage in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, it's very similar have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So training in godliness, the, the same idea as, as physically training for a sport or some sort of skill or whatever, uh, the same kind of thing that you train yourself in godliness. You, you begin with what you can do, and those, uh, like that grace and knowledge of Jesus, wherever it is now, you enter, enter into these practices, and that grace and that knowledge begins to grow and strengthen and deepen. So it's like weight training or, or training to run a marathon or anything like that. You don't start off there. You know, there's this, this uh, marathon or this 5K training thing. It's like couch to 5K. You may have heard of it. That's really kind of a good way of thinking about spiritual disciplines is couch to 5K as far as like, um, I, I don't know how to pray to becoming like the kind of prayer person I want to be. And Jesus takes us there little by little by little by little. 
um, and all these different things that we want. And so let's, let's look back at the definition again. So you see scripturally where it comes from. So following Jesus into his own practices, meaning that we see Jesus doing these same things. So if Jesus did this while he was on the earth, then certainly it is beneficial to us. Um, intentionally placing yourself in the pathway of God's love, and here are where those two scriptures come in, as a means of training yourself for godliness and growing in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you were to, to maybe zero in on something that, like just in your own life of, of when I think of spiritual disciplines, what do I want to think about? Maybe you could zero in on that, kind of that second line, second and third line, intentionally placing yourself into the pathway of God's love and saying, when I, when I go to pray, I am intentionally putting myself in, a, like in the pathway of God. You see, all throughout Jesus' ministry, people are always, they're, they're just, they're trying to get in his presence. They're trying to get, you know, if he's walking down the street, they're, they're, they're finding ways to get to him. Maybe not always, but especially in the height of his ministry, they wanted, they wanted him to have to like step over them. And that's what these disciplines do when we're praying, when we're in the word, when we're worshiping together corporately, when we're, we have times of solitude and silence away from everything. It's, it's God's grace and, and, he's, and his presence is with us all the time. He says, you want to you know it uniquely? You want to grow in that? You want to train in that? Practice these things. Do these things. And that is what will be produced in your life. So I, I like to talk about three tonight that we tend to overlook. That while our minds might go to a, to a list, there's really a, uh, there's a lot of stuff that we see in Jesus' life that will benefit us. And, he, and these are the three things. Uh, confession, rest, and tithing. You're like, oh, great. <laughs> confession, rest, and tithing. And you can probably already see why we tend to overlook them conveniently. We either overlook them because we don't see them as disciplines that fit that definition. You know, We don't see them as things that are going to help train us and grow us in godliness and learning who Jesus is. We either see them incorrectly or because they are all uncomfortable and inconvenient, we kind of look the other way on them. And it's not really an option. So, I'm going to go very quickly, and I'm going to try to answer four things for each of those, which is why I'm going to go really fast. One, I'm, going to, one, I'm just going to kind of tell you what a broad definition of what that discipline is. Then, where do we see it showing up in Jesus' life? Because, as it says, we're following him into his own practices. Then, uh, what, let me make sure I'm saying it right. How it trains us in godliness and how it helps us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. All right? I'm also going to give you some dates for podcasts where I've talked more, much more extensively about these things that you can then follow up on later on. Okay? All right. Whew. Okay. The first one will be confession. When we think about confession, we tend to think like about one specific thing, which is you're sitting down with someone else and you're confessing your sins to them. That's kind of where we go. And maybe that comes from, uh, from either, like, I know that quite a few of you come from a Catholic background, and so maybe it's that. If you come from a Protestant background, maybe you've seen a lot of movies where Catholic people go into the confessional, you know, and they confess to the priest, and they slide the little thing. Uh, I don't even know if that really happens, but it definitely happens in movies. And so uh, I'm pretty sure it happens in real life, too. And so that's kind of where we, where we go. It's like, okay, I need to go and tell someone all the things that I've done. 
And confession, it is that, but it really is, it's much more broad than that when we look at it biblically. Um, the actual, the words that we see uh, used in the New Testament when talking about confessing our sins and confessing Christ, it, it means to acknowledge and to agree or to thank or to praise. So you're acknowledging something. So when we, when we think about confession, perhaps it's more healthy to think in a, in a wide sense what confession is. Is that you're really, um, you're being honest with your community about what's going on with you. You're just being honest. And maybe your community at the moment is someone you're sitting down with. Maybe you're having coffee with someone. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your close friend. Maybe at times your community is your community group. You know, your small group you're a part of or... Uh, maybe a group of friends. Um, maybe your community, when you're in your room by yourself and you're praying, maybe your community then is you and God. Or you and Father, Son, Spirit. You know, the whole Trinity's there. You're all there. You know, Whatever your community is, you're really just being honest about what's going on with you. And so it doesn't even have to be confessing sin. It could just be confessing honest, you know, honestly how you're feeling or what you're struggling with or... Uh, you know, there's no there's no sin in in being sad. You know, there's no not necessarily sin in being frustrated. Those kinds of things. So when we talk about confession, think broadly, and you're just being honest with your community in very intentional ways. We see Jesus uh, con- practicing confession. Uh, obviously, I mean, he was sinless. You know, so if our definition, our understanding of confession is very very narrow, then this doesn't make sense because. Uh, Jesus wouldn't have sin to confess. He wouldn't need to go into the confessional and slide the, the deal and talk to the priest. He wouldn't have to have coffee with one of the disciples and be like, look, i got to tell you something. You know, I messed up the other day. You know, whatever. That was never the case for him. But we do see, in a, in a broad sense, we see him being honest with his community. Let me read this to you. Um, we studied this in community groups a few weeks ago. This is in Matthew 26. It says, He went with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. What does that sound like? Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So he's being honest with his community about what's going on with him. He's like, hey, I'm having a bad day. Some bad stuff's about to happen, and I'm just I'm sharing this with you. And he's being honest with those people around him. And then he goes off to pray. Um, verse 39 says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So in this passage, we see him being honest with his disciples. We see him being honest with the father about what's going on with him. He's confessing. He's acknowledging, he's agreeing, he's, he's opening up his life to other people. And we don't really like this one a whole lot. But it doesn't have to be weird. Really, confession is something that we're trying to practice all the time. We try to practice it to a degree in our community groups. We're hopefully pushing more deeply into our friendships, into marriages, you know, to where we're where confession is not, it's not weird, it's normal. And the reason why it's normal, it should be normal for us, is because inside the kingdom of God, there's complete safety in being honest. 
There's nothing, we have nothing to hide. We have, our shame has been taken care of by Jesus on the cross. And so, if you are confessing sin to someone, then that has already been covered by Christ. And so, what you're really doing is you're sharing, you're sharing an update with someone on, hey, let me, let me tell you this thing that's going on with me that Jesus died for already. You know? That's probably why confession is t- in the Greek is tied to praise and thanksgiving. Is that in the discipline of confession, when we practice it correctly, we're, we're being honest with our community and we're also stepping into the gospel and letting that gospel wash over us. So confession isn't just like, hey, let me tattle on myself, you know. It's, hey, let me, let me share what's going on. And then maybe you say, and I just, can, you just, can you just ask me questions about that? Can you just speak truth to me about that? Will you pray with me about that? There's, a, there's this deep acknowledgement of the goodness and the grace of God over it. So how does it train us in godliness? Well, um, it keeps us oriented toward holiness and the pursuit that we're called to, you know. When confession is a regular part of your life and you're steadily sharing with your community what's going on with you, it, it keeps that pursuit of holiness you know, right in front of you. It doesn't let us you know, accumulate all the, the weird stuff that sometimes comes along with the ups and downs of life. It keeps us going in that direction. It, another thing, it fosters humility. When you sit down with people or when you sit down with the Lord and you begin to share some of the darker things, you begin to take things that have been hidden in the shadows and you bring them out into the light, you, you can't be prideful and arrogant and cocky in those moments. You know? So it, it trains us in the humility of Christ and grows us in godliness in that way. When that's a regular part of life. It reminds us of our dependence on the Lord. If you're confessing some of those things, uh, it's, it has this way of being like, yeah, that's what happens when the vine tries to separate, um, when the branch tries to separate from the vine. It reminds us that we're constantly dependent upon Jesus as our source. It puts the cross at the forefront of our lives. Because when you're confessing sins and struggles and those kinds of things, when done correctly, you come back around to the grace that Jesus provides and it puts the cross right in front of you. And the end of that conversation is always, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Because he has raised, uh, because the Father has raised him from the dead, there is hope in the midst of all these things that are being confessed. And so it keeps the freedom and the victory that Jesus shares with us right in front of us. Several weeks we talked about the, the parable of the sower and how the, you know, the success of a plant is, is largely dependent on the quality of the soil. And Jesus connects that illustration to our hearts. And confession keeps the obstacles out of our hearts, especially shame and secrecy. That when you've been holding something in for so long and you've been, you know, you've been hoping nobody finds out and your fears are, man, if people really knew, if they really knew, then they would... There's no telling what they would do, but they would probably disown me. They would probably walk away from me. I'd probably lose that relationship forever. When secrecy and shame is, is building, especially because of patterns of sin, those rocks and obstructions and thorns and stuff are just growing and growing and growing, and they're choking out life. And confession is one of the ways that God's given us to rip those obstacles out. Because you confess it, and you, 
you thank Jesus for the blood that has covered that sin, and you acknowledge the freedom that he has given you and who he's made you. And we flourish in those ways and we bear fruit. So how does it help us grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus? Well, you don't practice confession correctly without drawing near to your Savior and Redeemer. So you grow in the knowledge of him because you get to know him, the person. It's that personal relationship. And those of you who practice confession regularly, or, or maybe you just have a few times, you know what I'm talking about. There's a, you love Jesus differently than beforehand. There's, something, there's just something about it. It reinforces that, that our favor isn't earned. So when you're confessing, you grow in grace because you're realizing, like, wow, even though I've done all this, Christ still died for me and still loves me. That just because I mess up, just because I'm inconsistent, just because I struggle, he's not walking away from me. He's, he's closer than I can imagine. So you grow in your knowledge and understanding of grace. And the character of Jesus becomes more clear each and every single time. So confession is this beautiful gift that he's given us. Sometimes we look past it. Sometimes we don't see it correctly. Sometimes we look the other way on purpose because we have all this fear and insecurity. But confession is a spiritual discipline. When we confess, we intentionally place ourselves in the pathway of that love. And all of those other things come with it. So if you want to learn more, uh, let me give you two dates of podcasts maybe you can look at. September 11th, 2011. And February 17th, 2013. That's the first one. Confession. The next one would be rest. This podcast can be found uh, September 25th, 2011. So what is rest and how in the world is that a spiritual discipline? Okay, rest is, it is exactly what it sounds like and so much more. So is rest, is it like taking a nap? Yeah, it is. Somebody like, sign me up for that one, you know. It's one of my favorite disciplines, taking a nap. And sometimes that is the most spiritual thing you can do. It really is. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is say no to something so that you can take a nap. Jesus took a nap. Remember, they're on the, they're on the, the storm comes up on the boat, and they're all freaking out, and they're like, where's Jesus, where's Jesus? Like, he's taking a nap, you know. Lazy bum. They had to wake him up. Like, hey, can you do something about this storm? And maybe, <laughs> I wonder if he was like, no, I'm taking a nap. Deal with it yourself. He's like, no, okay, all right, y'all can't do that. Okay, I'll take care of it. What is it? It's not only rest, but it's, think, think rest, but also think relief. Think relief. This is how we see Jesus practicing it. It's this word that's, associated with the Old Testament law, and it's the word Sabbath. And some of you are, are going to roll your eyes at this whole thing, and I get it, because I do the same thing. In Exodus 20, let me read you this, in the Ten Commandments. It says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, 
or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God built into the rhythm of Israel's life this day, where on this day it's not like the other days. And on this day you do things that you don't do on the other days. And the other days, you don't do things you do on the Sabbath. It's set apart. It's unique. We see here, he tells them not to work. Not only you don't work, but when you don't work, it means your family doesn't work. It means everyone that works for you doesn't work. It also means your, your donkeys and cows and stuff, they don't work either. And you know what else doesn't work? The land doesn't work. Everything doesn't work on the Sabbath day. Everything rests and is relieved on the Sabbath day. In Luke 14, I'm sorry, Luke 4, we see Jesus, uh, verse 16, it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stands up and he reads. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So Jesus practiced the Sabbath. So we follow him into this practice. What what does it really look like for us? I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know. I mean, we're so maxed out. We're so tired. Maybe just me. I don't know. But it seems like everyone is just like, oh my gosh. Just give me a free weekend when there's not something going on. And it's like filled with, our time filled with all these great things. You know? We're so tired. So we've obviously gotten away from this practice as a, you know, as a culture. And some of that is because we're, we're not Israel. You know, but, but we're still called to practice this. We're still called to rest. The reasons they needed to rest are still the reasons we need to rest. And so practicing Sabbath is a discipline that we're still called to. But we have to figure out what that looks like. And like I said, I don't, I don't know the answer. But I do know the challenge in front of us is to begin to set aside time where we are resting. So God creates, creates six days, or he creates in six sections. Okay, let's just think about the six of these in a row. And on the seventh one, he rests. Not because he's tired. What does he do on the seventh one? He, he probably just enjoyed everything that he had been working for. You ever feel like you just can't really enjoy your life because it's, the grind is just so hard? You know? So on the Sabbath, we maybe think of it like this. I'm not sure where I heard this from, but someone said on the Sabbath, you pray and you play. You pray uniquely. You, you have this time to set aside to spend time with the Lord in unique ways. And so you should, in those ryth- that rhythm of life, you have a, t- a time to break the pace. And you pray, and then you play together. It's when you find time to do stuff like we did yesterday. And I know the struggle, because yesterday, I mean, for me, I was like a work day, you know? So I don't know. I, I get the fact that there are just times where you're like, they're just, I don't know how to fit it in right now. And God's, he's very gracious with us, you know? He's not, like, angry with us because we don't ever do this. But I think he really wants to lead us and show us how to practice this discipline. Because we need... We need to pray and play in very unique ways. So, how does it train us in godliness? Well, 
One, it's being obedient. And obedience is, is always sanctifying. It's always purifying to us. So when you're, you're, you're sitting down, whether it's you, maybe you and your, your spouse or whatever, and you're trying to figure out, okay, how, how does Sabbath, how do we build that into our lives? He very, is very honored by that, by that obedience, that desire to trust him and follow him into this practice. And so obedience is always sanctifying. Uh, Sabbath reorients us toward the giver and away from self. We have, we have such strong earning narratives in us. And so he tells them in, in Exodus 20, he's like, hey, there's going to be this one day where you're not, you're not going to work. Don't forget that you're not the one that makes the crops grow. You're not the one that keeps everything rolling. I'm the one that does it. So you take a break and you take a nap and trust that while you're napping, I can still make sure everything's going to be okay. It orders our minds correctly. We live in a world that's super chaotic, and we almost find a, like a badge of honor in being like super busy. You know, it's like, oh, how are things are going? Like, oh, I'm so busy. You know, like it, like that's a status symbol or something. And the world's always telling us that you got to be doing, 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 doing. And Sabbath breaks that. The, the world brings chaos, and He brings order. It provides a unique context for our growth, our relational growth, vertically and horizontally. When you practice Sabbath, you are with your community in a different way than throughout the week. When you practice Sabbath, you're with the Lord in a different way than you are throughout the week. It's set apart. It breaks all that stuff. So we grow in grace and knowledge in these ways. Trust. You trust that He's got you. He's got your schedule. He's got your money, he's got your time, he's got all these things, he's completely got you. And when you begin to build that into your week, you're not taking away time from those other things, you're going to be better in those other things. I've talked about it before, a lot of people have, you know, when when you're on an airplane and they give you you all the safety speeds that nobody re-listens to, they uh, say, if an oxygen mask drops down, parents, you put it on first, then you help your kid, not the other way around. And they do that because the instinct is to take care of your child first. But you're no good to your child if you're passed out on the floor. And so you put your mask on first and you take care of someone else. You're better, you're better serving your child by putting that mask on. Sabbath is the same way. You're a better spouse, better parent, better friend, better employee, better employer, better student, better whatever. When we are resting, that drives us into the week with the right perspective reinforces the unearned nature of grace. We're always working, 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 working. We just project that onto God. And he says, no, you can take a nap, and I'm still, I still love you. You're just, as, you're just as favored when you're napping as when you're like, at work doing things for the Lord. It's trained in that. We surrender to him running the universe and seeing that power and care, and we give him relational priority over other things. We say, God, you, you know, it's, we know in our mind, especially in, in Christian culture, we know it's supposed to be God first, and then if you're married, then your spouse, and if you've got kids, then your kids, and then you know, it kind of goes from there. We know that there's an order that's supposed to happen. The Sabbath conveys that to God in a unique way. Says, God, I'm not just saying that you're a priority. Um, watch this, you know. So if you want to read, listen more about the Sabbath, 
Um, and I'm not at all saying that these, the podcasts from The Ring are like the ultimate authority. It's just a point of reference. So, yeah. September 25th, 2011. Talk a little more about that. Last one, tithing. This one will be quick because it was just March 15th when I talked about it of this year. So you can reference that podcast too. But we don't, like, we don't see tithing as a spiritual discipline uh, very easily. A lot of times we, just, we see it as a bill to pay or a bill to not pay. Um, we see it as this you know, kind of thing that's there or whatever. A lot of times we, we struggle to see it as like care for our souls. As this deep spiritual form of worship in our lives. And so when we, we started the church, and, and maybe this was the wrong approach, okay? But, uh, so we got this station over here, and that's where, you know, that's where our giving happens. And we don't you know, pass a plate or anything like that. And because we wanted, it, we wanted to have a freedom to, um, to go and to tithe as an act of worship whenever you wanted to during the service. And when we started off, some of you were, remember this, we were in a big gym and, you know, the chairs and the stage, and then the back of the gym was just, like, really, really open space. And back in the corner was this table, and you would just see people kind of migrate back there at different points. And it was easier to move around the room here. You know, you move around this room, and it's, like, really obvious, you know. Um, but back then, it was just kind of a regular part of things. And a lot of people advise against that, especially when you're planning a church. They're like, you've got to take up an offering Maybe three times a service, whatever. You gotta have you you gotta have that money because I mean that's like so crucial to a church plant. But also, church plants are usually filled with people that don't understand giving in this kind of way. And so you gotta take up an offering, but you gotta teach on giving. And and honestly, I, I pushed away from that. And I think our elders at the time we weren't crazy about that either, probably as an overcorrection and stuff, but. This, what happens here, is a spiritual discipline. This is not a kiosk where you come and you like pay your bill to Jesus. It's a spiritual discipline like anything else. Tithing is, it began in the Old Testament with crops. Because they didn't really use money the way that we use money. And so they, used, they bartered and they traded. And so, uh, whether it's crops or livestock or whatever, the first 10% went to the Lord in different ways. And then when money became like how uh, goods and services are exchanged, now money is that thing. So the first 10% that comes in goes to the work and furthering of the Lord's uh, kingdom and his church. And so did, uh, how do we know that Jesus practiced this? Well, there isn't a verse that you turn to. It's like right here, he did this. But he taught on it. In Mark 12, he said, you give Caesar what Caesar's. In other words, you pay your taxes and you give the Lord what is the Lord's, you tithe. Um, we see him with the widow's offering and him really championing her. We see in Sermon on the Mount, he talks about when you give to the needy, when you tithe. You know, So we see Jesus doing this, we see him practicing this. So it trains us in godliness in, the, in a similar way to rest, that um, tithing is obedience. And so that always has a sanctifying, purifying uh, aspect. Tithing keeps the Lord in his proper place and it keeps money in its proper place. Keeps the, it's, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Money is the Lord's. It's all his. And so it helps money not be this idol, this God that we are always working toward and bowing to. 
So it orders our hearts. It purges us of materialism and greed. We grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus because we, it makes you trust that he'll provide. I know that there are, are probably some in this room who you want to tithe, but when you sit down and you really do a budget, you're like, there ain't no room. Tithing makes you trust that he's going to still provide, even though on paper it doesn't work out. And that's a, that's a, I'm not trying to trivialize it. I know that this is a difficult thing for all of us, but it's one that we're called to. We're called to build that in, and maybe it takes you a little while or whatever. And remember, God honors our hearts, but it's, it's a discipline that's for our good. Yes, it goes into this pot, and yes, our church budget comes from that, and yes, we go, money goes to Hope of Life and Breakfast in the Levee and goes to like, these different places that are good, um, but it's not about building a budget. It's about the soul care. It's, it's the fact that God gave us this to sharpen us and grow us and mature us and help us trust Him and know Him more. That's the, that's the agenda. He cares about everything in our lives, including our finances. And when you give here, you join, you join into this kingdom work in an active way. And when you join somebody in their work, you know them a little bit differently. If you ever see someone like at their job, in their element, working within their giftings, you see them in this new, like this sharper way. You're like, okay, I get you a little bit more now. And so when we tithe and we're a part of where that money ends up all around the world, then you're like, okay, I, I understand the heartbeat of God as well. So let me summarize these things. I know this, for some of you, you, know, you probably don't like sermons like this. And I'll be honest with you, this is not my favorite way to preach. But it was, these three things have been burdening me a lot. Confession, rest, or let's just say Sabbath, tithing. These are, these are spiritual formation disciplines. God has given these as gifts of grace. Let me summarize it. Let me make these, these three statements. He knew we would get bogged down in shame and secrecy, so he gave us confession. He knew we would get bogged down in work and busyness, so he gave us Sabbath. He knew we would get bogged down in materialism and greed, so he gave us tithing. Each of these, when practiced correctly, replaces the lies of the world with the truth of God and therefore continually crushes the idol of self. Why would, why would I not want that? That's what I put on the paper. Why, why would I not want that? Why would I not want to follow Jesus into these practices and put myself in the pathway of his love and grow in godliness and knowledge of his grace and who he is? Why would I want to hand myself over to shame and secrecy or greed and materialism or the busyness and chaos of the world? Why would I not want to hand myself over to the grace and knowledge of our good and beautiful Lord? Why would I not want to entrust myself to the shepherd and overseer of my soul by trusting him enough to do the things he says are good for me? When I think about it like that, it makes perfect sense. So the challenge for me, at least, becomes how do I, how do I build this consistency we build consistency by being consistent in it. All right? That's how, that's how it works. And so I don't, I don't know where, where any of this stuff finds you. Maybe one of these stands out more than the other. Maybe it's all three or 
Maybe you're just throwing your hands up, you know, like, I quit, you know. But what's beautiful about, like, preaching and doing what I get to do is that I'm just entrusting myself to the shepherd of all of our souls that he knows exactly what you need. I don't have to know what you need. He does. And so I have to do the same thing you have to do, which is come before the Lord and say, Lord, what are you, what are you saying to me? And just listen. And if I'm having trouble hearing, maybe you sit down with someone that you trust and be like, hey, I really, I was started up about something, but I don't know what. Maybe you talk about it. I don't know. I don't know where this finds you. But I know this. When we look at the Bible, God has hooked us up with these practices that will change and transform our lives more and more into his image. And so I hope that, that whatever. But if you don't know where to go next, talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to the elders. Talk to Meg. Talk to whomever. Because we want to help each other because we're all in the same boat. All right. Let's, let's stand together. Let's pray together. Let's start off and just just maybe think about kind of what I said right there at the end. That everyone that's standing around you, that you're all, we're all in the same boat. That we're in this together, you know. That if you battle with discipline in general, if you battle with confession or rest or giving or solitude, silence, time in the word, prayer, fasting. If you struggle with intentionally placing yourself in the pathway of God's love and grace, you need to know that you're not alone. We're here to help each other and to learn together. God, I thank you that you've not um, left us on our own to figure things out. Thank you for the gift of um, relational community with each other. Thank you for the solidarity that exists within your church. Thank you that there are people in this room that are really strong in things that I'm weak in. Thank you for connecting our lives together. So God, I thank you for the horizontal, uh, relational aspects of just goodness and beauty that exist in your church and that we're all different, but yet we're united. And now, God, thinking vertically, I'm so grateful that you are the thing that unites us all. That your deep care for us, you know where everybody in here is, you know exactly what we need. You know where we are, you know where we've been, you know what's next, you know how to get there. God, thank you for loving us enough to tell us what to do. Thanks for loving us and know that, uh, for loving us in ways that you know that secrecy and shame will, will become footholds for us, and you've given us a pathway out of the shadows. Jesus, you lived here on the earth, you know what a You know what a grip money has on us. Thank you for the gift of tithing and 
generosity that exists around us. Jesus, you've seen the chaos of our world and you know firsthand the busyness that we are walking in. Thank you for the gift of Sabbath and rest. And thank you for being our perfect and beautiful shepherd who will lead us through these disciplines and and all the other ones that are there. God, will you help us to see them not as tasks or things on a to-do list or a checklist, but as, as ways that we literally sit in the pathway of grace. Help us to see these as demonstrations of love. That without you, without you caring for us, we would we'd be floundering in all this ridiculousness, but yet you stepped in and we're grateful. Help us to, to love you more and more to the point where whatever disciplines are going to get us uh, in that pathway and deeper in love with you and love with what you're doing and in love with one another, whatever it takes, we want to get there. Maybe even as we sing, as we sing these familiar songs, Lord, Maybe some things will come alive in us.